Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Sustainability has made its way into the business discourse, especially for the food and beverage industry, and it's starting to change how companies behave in the world. You know, at the same time, the pandemic has forced many companies to do things like release single-serve packaging that has also resulted in higher waste. And a lot of brands are facing the challenge of wanting to use more sustainable packaging, but also seeing increased costs and supply chain challenges. So how are brands supposed to balance sustainability with their business and consumer needs? To answer this question, I've invited on Sherry Fry, the VP of Total Wellness at NIQ, to really talk about the evolving business case for sustainability. Sherry, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. So as I mentioned, a lot of brands are starting out. They want to incorporate sustainable practices into their businesses, but also don't really understand you know, what consumers are actually looking for. They're willing to pay for things. So I'd love to kind of dive into this conversation based on your research and experience to get an understanding of what the landscape looks like for sustainability out here. That's a great, I mean, I, you know, and I think Jordan, even just setting it up, you know, the word sustainability is we're asking that word to do a lot, you know, when you, when you think about it. Um, and in fact, you know, we found that in a lot of our research, you know, in terms of when we ask consumers, what does sustainability mean? When we talk to brands about what sustainability means, when we talk to retailers about what sustainability means, you know, it's really, really a really broad spectrum. And, you know, I think so just to kind of set a little bit of the stage of how we're looking at it here at, at Nielsen IQ, we are really finding that, you know, it is about the environmental aspects, obviously. And we find that in the consumer research that we've done that, you know, consumers really tie it to, you know, pollution and protecting our natural resources. But we're also, you know, with what we look at, packaging, as you mentioned, is a very key part of that. And animal welfare is another key element of it. And then the kind of fourth element that we look at is what we call social responsibility. And this is everything from, you know, how people are treated along the supply chain to does the brand and the company support vulnerable groups, you know, kind of that full spectrum. And so just to kind of set the stage that when we talk sustainability today, we're going to be pretty broad in terms of what we're talking about. Some of the research, you know, when we ask consumers, you know, what makes a brand sustainable? Always on the top in terms of awareness and in terms of importance is packaging, sustainable packaging. It's the number one thing that we hear from consumers that they want brands to do more of, you know, less packaging, less plastic in the packaging, more sustainability overall. And in fact, it's the thing we also find from a consumer standpoint when we ask them, what are you doing to live sustainably? The, the top things they say are, oh, I'm trying to recycle. I'm trying to buy recyclable or refillable or compostable. So that one is definitely, you know, kind of in the front and center from the consumer standpoint, as well as, you know, as you mentioned, from the brand standpoint. And what is it about the sustainable packaging that matters to them? Is it things like every other packaging is like single use that they are looking specifically for like a compostable packaging that is like home compostable, like what are some of the things that they're using to make that decision? Or is it really just 
kind of the kind of top level mentions of it on the packaging? So, you know, I mean, at a bare, bare minimum, recyclable, right? Like that is, and in fact, you know, that's one of those claims that we see is really well penetrated across the store, across all categories. But at that bare minimum, you know, consumers are looking for recyclable, but, you know, frankly, it's really confusing. I actually just moved cities a, a few years ago. And I was shocked between two different municipalities, what's recyclable and what's not recyclable. And, you know, I think that the consumers are beginning to really have this awareness that they don't always know if they're doing it. And there's, you know, there's even terms like wish cycling, where they kind of like put it in the recycling and hope that it's recyclable. But, you know, there's a lot of different nuances of packaging, you know, in terms of how the film is done on the front, et cetera. And I think that that's causing, you know, maybe some consternation from a consumer standpoint. They want brands to have recyclable. I think there's a little bit of, you know, worry about the fact that they are hearing stats that, you know, they're maybe not recycling or things aren't being recycled or things are being messed up in the batch. And so we are starting to see more, you know, more brands making claims around compostable and biodegradable and definitely consumers, you know, and part of it, you know, I think we're all seeing this, right? You see all of these terrible images of plastic in the oceans and, you know, plastic in other countries and, you know, consumers are are really starting to kind of say, hey, we have a responsibility here, not just for the planet, but frankly, there's a social responsibility of putting our garbage in someone else's backyard. Yeah, I think that's so true. Have you seen the disconnect in terms of what makes a brand sustainable from like what consumers or what companies believe they should be doing and what consumers believe that the companies should be doing? You know, maybe a little bit. And, and it, it, I don't know if it's a disconnect or an evolution. And part of it is, you know, I think everyone... Uh, would align is aligned on packaging. And I know, you know, especially for many of the listeners on this podcast, that's one of the toughest, you know, that's one of the toughest challenges from a cost standpoint, from a sourcing standpoint. But I, so I think there's, you know, there's general alignment around the the packaging component. But then I think it does get, you know, because we've got this broad view of it's everything from how the product is sourced and how it's manufactured and how people are treated along the supply chain. And it means so many different things, even how it's transported. There's differing levels of awareness from a consumer perspective. And I think, you know, there's differing levels of ability to execute from a brand perspective. You know, some of these things are easy, you know, minimal, and we see them, you know, pretty much consistent across categories where brands are doing it. And then we see some that are, you know, these are major investments for brands to make, even if they might not be mean as much to the consumer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I saw a brand recently, they were launching in retail, and it's a new product that people weren't really aware of. And they came out with a single serve version where it was like a stick pack. And there's a consumer demand, I think, and the retail demand for the stick packs. But I think the founder also felt, I don't know if it was what emotion they felt, but that they needed to compensate for the packaging that they were adding. And so they have a partnership with a company that reduces their overall kind of environmental footprint by purchasing like credits, essentially to offset the waste they're putting out there. Is this something that you see resonating with consumers where they're kind of looking for a trade-off or there's not really a clear understanding from the consumer side of like that relationship? You know, I will say that we're starting to see more claims around carbon footprint, water footprint, you know, definitely more and more brands are talking about that on package. So that is a positive because that's putting that in front of the consumer in terms of um, understanding. And, and that, frankly, Jordan, has been one of the things that we've found is part of the consumer perspective has been 
when I know better, I do better, right? And so what this has brought to my attention, I will choose to do better. And so the fact that so many more brands are bringing a variety of claims to the forefront for consumers, it is giving them that chance to say, hey, I'm going to buy my values. You know, I'm going to execute my values. I do care. I didn't really realize or I'm becoming more familiar with the carbon situation. So I want to buy these products that support that. I think there's also the reality of, I think we anticipate this to be increasing the fines against greenwashing. And I think from a consumer perspective, you've got some packages that are saying no carbon, but consumers are thinking, well, how do you do that? Right. And there's a kind of a question mark around is buying credits really the way I was telling you, I'm about to jump on a plane this afternoon and was recently getting on a flight and they were talking about, you know, we're going to be carbon neutral by X and you're just like, well, okay, how, right? So the positive, yes, consumers are aware, they're interested. I think they're going to become more and more savvy on what's your how on how you're doing that. And for some, they may say, we'd rather you were doing process and production related things before just buying down credits. But that's maybe a little bit of a hypothesis of as consumers get more savvy. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because, you know, there's kind of like a black hole a little bit. And I can tell you that even brands that I've talked with, they'll maybe like buy credits from a company, but they don't actually follow up to see how exactly they're implemented. They just rely on like a report, maybe that's even automated sometimes from those companies. And there's not as much traceability to say like, this is the true like impact of what we were able to make. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. The, I think the big question a lot of founders are asking themselves as well is, are consumers willing to pay for the additional costs from the more expensive, say like recyclable or compostable packaging? Well, let me kind of just answer that more broadly, you know, and so we did some research with McKinsey and company because you always hear consumer research says consumers care about sustainability and they'll pay more and they'll buy more and they want it, but you know, like, will they really? And so we did some work with McKinsey where we took a look at five years of data, you know, grocery store sales data. And we basically analyzed every, I mean, it was a, it was a massive undertaking, you know, every item in the store for five years. And we did find that the products that have ESG or sustainability related claims did better over the last five years. So they grew more. So they're Definitely first and foremost, like we did find there is a business case for sustainability. But then when we looked at, you know, can you charge more? Is there a price premium opportunity? We didn't really find that to be consistent. What we found was there are claims, if you are differentiated kind of with that claim, you've got a window of time where you can have a level of a price premium. But that window closes quickly as more and more, you know, and really that's what we're finding is more and more, you know, of kind of a category shifts very quickly. And so things like packaging, you know, we don't necessarily see that. Although I would say that I think there's opportunities to do more to communicate to consumers why packaging is more expensive, you know, why a certain type of packaging is being used. And that adds, you know, even the transparency if that adds X percent to the cost, but we think it's important for the environment. We haven't as much seen brands talking that way, you know, like directly addressing it head on. The other thing I would say that we found, you know, when we ask consumers, you know, of course they're all saying like they care more about sustainability, but it is still below price. You know, price is important. Trusted brand is important. Efficacy is important. You know, the value, all of those things. Taste and flavor. Exactly. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then about five or six is sustainability. And when we ask them, you know, what do you want brands to do? You know, the number one thing they want is they want it to be price parity, right? Like they don't want to have to pay more, 
Right now, we're finding that in many cases they are, and there is that willingness. But in general, their feedback is they'd like it to be where everything actually was sustainable. And maybe it wasn't even a differentiator between the products. You know, it's interesting. I was talking with the founder a little while back, and they mentioned that you know, sustainability is definitely like really important is with everything with your company, though, if you don't have the margins to actually stay in business, then you won't be able to make an impact regardless, right? You can have the most sustainable product, but if no one buys it and you can't gain consumer adoption, then your business will disappear. And so they had a comment that, you know, business should focus on what matters at the core to consumers and why they're buying you. And focus on that. And then when you get to a scale and a point where you can start implementing some of these changes and get much larger negotiating power and supplier discounts and volume discounts, then look at how you can incorporate those kind of into your products so that you can still maintain that long-term success. I think that's a really valid perspective. You know, I think that for many small brands, you know, oftentimes there is this, you know, passion, right? And, you know, from early and emerging brands and this kind of mission, you know, a lot of the results that we saw in the work we did with McKinsey, it was smaller and emerging brands that were driving a lot of the growth. But oftentimes there is this kind of desire to do it all right from the beginning. And the reality is that that's almost impossible for many small brands, just because exactly as you said, you know, sourcing issues. And, you know, I believe there's a lot of leeway from a consumer perspective to show them your path and your journey and be transparent and say, here's what's most important for us today. But I think I would applaud brands that actually do share that with consumers of here's where we're going. And we'd love when we get to this point, we'd love to be doing this, you know, like this is our long-term mission, but as a small brand, we can't do it all on day one there. I believe that there's so much, you know, I don't even say forgiveness, but almost interest from consumers to support small brands. And in fact, we did some research last year at NIQ where we looked at, you know, big brands versus small brands. And we found that there's just a lot of affinity mm-hmm. for consumers to find emerging brands, to support emerging brands, to be along with them for their it kind of their life, you know. And so I think it's oftentimes that thing where uh, perfect gets in the way of actually progress can be more endearing. Exactly. I love that. And I think you're right because I think the shift kind of started at the beginning of the pandemic where like consumers are looking to build like relationships with the products that they were buying and the people behind them. And so these founder led brands really saw like a huge boost and you saw founders talking directly to their consumers, derising things like TikTok, being able to do that. And I think you're right, like sharing the honest truths behind the business and like the why we do things or why not get so much respect from consumers and probably also like built that loyalty or like a founder answered my question. Like maybe I was wondering why their product wasn't recyclable, but then they explained it to me. So now I'm aware and I appreciate them doing so versus not talking to me at all or just giving a blanket statement. You know, one of the things that I love too, is I feel like we've had this interesting dynamic when you think about marketing, where we've got this like influencer culture and now there's a de-influencer culture going on. But I believe that founders have an amazing opportunity to be influencers and to build relationships with consumers that because we ultimately, right, we like to work with people that we like, we like to buy from people that we like. And I've just seen some amazing examples of founders who have you know, also had really honest conversations with consumers around like, hey, this is why we do this. Or when there's kind of some crazy backlashes, addressing things head on. And I think, you know, there's such a 
level of respect from consumers to see founders do that. Sherry, the other thing I was curious about, had we seen a rise in social responsibility kind of claims in products? I know there's the whole, like there's animal welfare. There are things like, you know, fair trade that were big. Are there any other around kind of the human impact around products that are coming out? Yes. So that's kind of one of the interesting things. I mean, we're seeing things like ethical being just claimed on pack or responsibly sourced. You know, fair trade is one of those. We look at, we put B Corp actually in our social responsibility. You know, we kind of, it can go a lot of different places, but we have it there. That's one that we see a lot of growth in. And then the other piece that, you know, under what we measure for social responsibility, we also look at minority owned, LGBTQ owned, you know, veteran owned, you know, all of those aspects. And those are women owned is another one. You know, those are areas that we're seeing more products, you know, make the claim on package and growth then, you know, we've seen about a, I think it's about a 30% growth of products that have socially responsible claims. I love that. I'm excited about the growth in that as well. It's something that I'm a big advocate for. A lot of our listeners know as well, but I have a, another company called Good Food Brands right now. We're actually rebranding to Joyful Co. But we source, it's a gifting company, and we source all of our products from brands who are women and minority owned and use that as a chance to highlight the stories of the small businesses often who we're showcasing. And we've seen a big uptick in terms of really just supporting people from underrepresented groups and making sure that those products are making out into the world. Oh, that is fantastic. I love that. So I'm looking forward to more just awareness and even things like certifications around like how products are made and who they're being sourced from. Because I think there's a lot of benefit in that transparency. You too. To wrap up just real quick, are there any other areas of sustainability that you think are going to grow in the next few years? You know, the one that I think is kind of an interesting one, you know, we did a little bit of social listening to consumers on like, when you think about wellness and altruism, like, what are they talking about? And one of the pieces that came up, Jordan, and I think maybe I'm especially, you know, attuned to it right now, just thinking about everything with the farm bill is kind of this idea of healthy eating for everyone and democratizing wellness. And I think that that has become, you know, it's more than just, you know, thinking about vulnerable groups or the supply chain, but this idea that, and I think it really started to percolate. It probably was percolating before the pandemic. I think it, you know, accelerated during the pandemic, but this idea that it's not just about me and my family, right? It's not fair that there are people that can't afford food. And I think we all saw that, you know, it was really hard to ignore the haves and the have nots and the income disparities in this country. And we continue to see that split, you know, that divide um, deepening. And so I think that this conversation around democratizing wellness or nutrition for everyone, I think will be something that is going to continue to be kind of pulled and from a consumer perspective. And I frankly think it's an interesting opportunity for brands to lean into. I think so as well, especially in this next chapter, of what the natural products industry becomes. Sherry, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, great. It's great to be here.